We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Villato. Today, we are here to continue a little bit of our draft recap coverage. And for those following along, did a 30,000-foot overview of the entire draft. We broke down each day of the draft. This week, later this week, we're going to have John Schmelk on from Giants.com. That has just been confirmed. That's been in the works for a while. I'm happy that we can finally find some time. He's a busy guy, and he's going to a bunch of Nick games, so good for him on that front. Uh, but he will talk Giants draft with us as well. And we might have somebody else on. We might have a second guest. We're also going to probably work through the other divisions, grades. Just I think it gives a good way for us to look at what other teams did, philosophy, different philosophies that other teams used. I think it's just interesting to look at. And where some of our favorite players, Nick and I, got went in this draft. Though, I will say this. On today's NFC East recap, Nick, you're going to hear a lot of players that Nick was a big stan of in this draft, specifically uh. the Washington football team. And even myself to another team, the Cowboys. But... Having said that, one of the players who was a my guy in this class was drafted by the Cowboys. I think he wouldn't have been a my guy if I thought he was going to be drafted in the round the Cowboys drafted him. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. We're doing the NFC East grades, Nick. How are you doing today? Any any sleep for you last night? Yeah, I got a little bit of sleep. I've been grinding through some Trey Hawkins, the third film from Old Dominion, some uh, various Owens films. So I'm just kind of trying to finish up my film work on these day three guys and then go right into the UDFAs. But it's exciting, man. It's a lot of work. But it's exciting. I woke up today and I saw on Twitter that you had already put out like 17 clips on these dudes. So I was like, all right, well, he's, he's not sleeping still. He's still grinding. <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate that. I respect that as well. I have a flight coming up. So I plan to I've already downloaded some caddy cut up. So I plan to watch some stuff. But my focus is probably going to be for at least for this flight on Eric Gray for now. And I'll work my way down to the rest of the players as we move back. Um, Fun watch. I know. And I want to see some more yeah. of him because I really do have a feeling that he could potentially be a 1B type player as soon as this year. So we'll see what happens there. But today we're here to talk about the other NFC East teams. We're going to start this thing alphabetical order. So that starts us with the Dallas Cowboys here, Nick. And I'll say this about this draft. If you're looking for one draft, if I was forced gun to my head, which team did the quote unquote worst in the NFL draft out of the NFC East teams, I actually would pick Dallas. I think the halls for the other three teams, Giants included, were better. So let's start this thing off. Go pick by pick here. And we'll start with Mozzie Smith in round one, which I think was a pretty good pick by them. Um, what were your thoughts? And what, we could just go back and forth. What were your thoughts on the decision to go Mozzie Smith there over maybe a player like Michael Mayer, who people expected? Did you think that the Bills had intel and because of that traded one spot ahead of the Cowboys because the Cowboys were you know going to get Dalton Kincaid and maybe they had it like a similar situation like the Giants were like, yes, Deontay Banks and Porter on the board. Yes, Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer on the board. But maybe just maybe on the Cowboys board, it was Dalton Kincaid. And then it was drop off, drop off, drop off Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta, players like that. And what did you think of their decisions overall to add that kind of beef to the middle of their defensive line? That's, I think, exactly what happened. Then I believe Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones wanted Dalton Kincaid. Brandon Bean knew that. I mean, we've seen on Twitter already. Brandon Bean came out and he was like, yeah, we'll call Joe Shane, my buddy. But they had their eyes set on another player. So the Giants were going to trade with the Bills. And I'm sure that's something that's more than likely going to happen in the future. Luckily, Dalton Kincaid did not go to Dallas because I feel like he would absolutely terrorize the hell out of any linebacker the Giants decide to put out there because Jason Witten is still terrorizing Giants linebackers. I feel like anybody they use terrorizes Giant linebackers. They end up getting their tight end in the next round. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But in terms of Mozzie Smith, I like Mozzie Smith's game. I think there's a lot of potential there. 
I don't believe he has the type of upside of a Dexter Lawrence, but I do believe there is some pass rushing juice behind Mozzie Smith. But in terms of a run defender, this is somebody who anchored Michigan's defense. And everyone's like, yeah, Steve Avila, man, he kicked his ass in that game. I watched that game. I would say Steve Avila might have won it like 60-40, but there were some plays where Mozzie Smith was bitching Steve Avila as well. So Mozzie Smith is a dude. But at this juncture of the draft, you get him, and then we'll talk about Luke Shoemaker, and that's your one-two in the first, second round. And I like Shoemaker a lot. That's not all that exciting at that point, right? Like That's not something that really gets your blood flowing if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. But I do like adding a true nose tackle to that defense with Demarcus Lawrence and with Micah Parsons and everybody because they had Mr. Hankins as their starting defensive line. Right. That was going to be a starter for you. He was a good starter for the Giants back in like 2016. <laughs> now he's a little bit long in the tooth. You needed to add a defensive lineman to sure up your run defense, and they were able to do so. I believe Dallas last year, in terms of run defense, they ranked 22nd in the league. The Giants were 27. So it's not like they were that much better than the New York football Giants in terms of run defense, even though I'll say the New York Giants just watching the tape. They ranked 27th. They could have ranked last, it seemed like. Maybe the Texans would have had something to say about that. But you get your defensive lineman. I think that's um that's a solid addition. But in terms of the overall draft, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. I, I wasn't in love with it either. So I'll start with, from the philosophical standpoint, 30,000-foot view. I do like the idea of drafting a Mozzie Smith because you look at this Cowboys defense and you're like, they're amazing on the ends of that defensive line. They have speed across the defense. They're an aggressive-style defense, not afraid to play man coverage, not afraid to play single hide, all those types of things that kind of lead you to believe, okay, if they could just put something in the middle of this defense in the form of a nose tackle or, a deep, or even like a three technique, it could take it to the next level. From that standpoint, I think they're on the right track. I just don't know if Mozzie Smith is that guy. You bring it up. There's a difference between watching Mozzie Smith and even a player like Dexter Lawrence. If you specifically look at Dexter Lawrence's freshman season at Clemson, but even oh. if you just look at the projection for those two players, like Mozzie Smith does not have Dexter Lawrence's length. He does not have his hands, uh, his arm length. He basically, in a lot of ways, doesn't, uh, you know, what Dave Gettleman used to say, have the ability to unlock and flip his hips as a pass rusher. I think he shows some juice as a pass rusher. It's not that I think he's just a pure nose tackle. You're not drafting that, but I don't see a real big profile of upside for him to be like up oh, in three or four years from now. We're like, Oh my God, this is the next Dexter Lawrence or, Oh my God, this is the next Aaron Donald's the next Chris Jones, the guys who can sit, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, the guys who consistently rush the passer. I think he can be somebody who rushes the passer more than your average nose, but not someone who's going to be a great pass rusher. So now you're talking about using your first round pick on a true, on, on an almost true nose, a little bit of pass rushing juice. And even then in that regard, I think he's great. Like you said, but I think there was some inconsistency in his tape. And I know a lot of people talked about this. It was a thing. Like, I think he showed up really big for the Ohio state game. Um, but there were other games that I watched of him where I was just like, this is just a dude in the middle eating up blocks and, I don't know if you can't get that later in a draft, or I don't know if you need that in round one. And I don't know what kind of impact that's going to make for them. Sure. It's going to make a big impact in the run defense. And you talked about that, right? And it should help them right away with that. But if it's not a guy who's impacting the passing game on a consistent basis, then I'm not so sure this is something that I would worry about. And you look at that team, Dalton Kincaid, like you said, can you imagine how much more dangerous they would be right now with a Dalton Kincaid than a Mozzie Smith, to be completely honest, especially if they're able to get somebody later in the draft to play that nose tackle position who maybe doesn't have any pass rush use, but can at least play, do what they want him to do. Take up a couple blockers on every play, free up the linebackers, free up the edges. And so I think I would prefer that route in that regard. And we'll get to it when we get to the round two pick too, because I like Loon Shoemaker, but I liked him a lot more when he was projected in round four than I liked him when he was projected in round two. And I don't think he has anywhere near the pass game upside of a Dalton Kincaid. He's going to be a better blocker, but we, we talk, we, you know, we refer to him as like this draft version of, of Daniel Bellinger. And I don't think that was too unfair watching him. Maybe you can say he has a little bit more upside, but I don't know if it's anything too great there. So we'll get to that pick in a second, but the Mozzie Smith pick to me, I really felt like if this team had taken maybe like a Michael Mayer there who went just a few picks later to the Raiders, I'd be a lot more scared. And I know Michael Mayer has his doubters as far as what he can do in the passing game, but that dude to me is going to be like a 10-year starter at the NFL level, seven TDs, 800 yards a year, while also offering you something as a wide tight end as a blocker. And, or even honestly, Nick, if they've taken Luke Musgrave there, I would have been super scared because I don't think anyone on this Giants defense, if that kid hits his ceiling, can keep up with him on the vertical plane or the horizontal plane because you can see him unlock in those routes when he gets in and out of his breaks. Luke Musgrave would have scared the hell out of me. So I look at this pick and I'm like, it's a very high floor picnic, but 
high floor is not going to scare me right now uh, when you're building out this Cowboys team. So I could we could look back on this and be way wrong if Mozzie Smith becomes a really good pass rusher. And you can certainly see that at 320, he can move better than most nose tackles. But I just don't know if I totally see him being a dominant pass rusher at the NFL level. I'm wondering what his career will be like. Is it going to be like a Don Terry Poe who was drafted, I think, in the top 20 back in the 2012 draft by the Kansas City Chiefs who bounced around from team to team? Is that the type of upside that we're talking about? Because I do think he he can move. He's yeah. not just like a stiff eating blocks, like a two-gapping, two-down type of defensive lineman. I do think there is upside for him. You get him at the end of the first round when you were this close to getting Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. And a tight end that would have really just wreaked havoc on the NFC East and the New York Giants defense, which we which we all grew up seeing with Jason Witten. I'm I'm happy that it was this instead of Kincaid. I honestly would have been more scared if they took Joey Porter there. There's a lot of players who are on the board that I would rather them not take there than Mozzie Smith. And I know it look, it's gonna be a difficult task, but I think John Michael Schmitz himself could be up for that task in year one. Obviously, they have the familiarity come from the Big Ten, and I just have a good feeling that that um, this is not the kind of pick that's going to tip the scale here for the Giants. But again, look, he was a good player. We shouldn't knock somebody who's 6'3", 337 and can move like that. In general, getting that that type of player will help your team right away with a nice high floor. But I, if you're looking at ceiling, I'm not so sure. Second round pick, Luton Shoemaker, made, was a my guy on my list. So I obviously liked his tape. I loved watching him at, uh, at Michigan. But I really thought he was going to be a day three pick, especially considering he's 24 years old. And also because while his athletic profile is good, I don't really view him as the Dalton Kincaid type. I don't even think he has the passing upside in my mind, at least, of Michael Mayer, uh, Sam Laporta, or Luke Musgrave. I think it's a tier below that. While he might be a little bit of a better blocker than some of those players, at least right now, though, does he have the frame to be? I'm not so sure uh, to be a dominant blocker. He's six, uh, six, just under six. What is he? Six five, two fifty. I don't have the exact measurements here because I think I'm reading off CBS's draft grades and I don't think this is right. I have him at six, six. Like there's no way Luke Shoemaker is six foot six. I think he even probably tested at six, four, but Nick might be able to correct me on that. But Luke Shoemaker is another pick here where I can understand why they want to take this player. It's a player who, if you watch him, you're like, there's so much meat left on the bone. The Michigan offense just did not use him the way they should in the past game. And I really like his ability, similar to Daniel Bellinger, to get in and out of his breaks on the short, like the quick outs and the, the routes breaking toward the sideline and be that kind of player where if you're going to run like boot action, that type of stuff, he'll be the guy to get open quick. You can get the football to him. He has reliable hands. Ver on the vertical plane, I'm not so sure he's ever going to be that big of a mismatch uh, for the Giants or for any team in this division. So this is a pick that I feel like is, again, more floor than ceiling. At more floor rate. than ceiling, but it does not spell well for your boy, Jake Ferguson. Because Luke Shoemaker is more than likely sliding in as the number one. And now they got three at least competent young tight ends. And I think there's still more development that can happen with Shoemaker. And I know you agree. Because he played for Michigan's offense. Michigan's offense, right. they run the football. So you're getting that blocking foundation that you missed out on or that you skipped on with Michael Mayer there. Michael Mayer, I would say, is is more of a blocker and he is like teetering on six six by the way i think he's classified six five but it's it's close but i think there is some athletic upside with a player like luke shoemaker maybe that was not realized at the college level yet so hopefully that doesn't really come to bite us in the ass as giant fans for everything i've seen and i haven't done an evaluation on him you watch a lot more big 10 than i do at least through the season he seems like a pretty natural receiver he doesn't seem like he is stressed out there or trying and he might have a little bit more of a profile to attack you with the intermediate, maybe even deep parts of the field, like up the seam. Not like Dalton Kincaid. I think there's something, something to be said about his receiving profile. I still think it's a little early for a player like this. I think you are projecting his skill set forward if you're the Dallas Cowboys, especially in this really deep tight end class. And I'm pretty sure Tucker Craft was still around at this time of the draft, which is still somewhat like that kid has some pretty solid tape. I think it's a little early, but I can understand that there could be some development with this kid moving forward that could be taken to another level. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, look, he's a my guy for a reason. There is a lot to unlock here, and I love projecting when I'm picking the guys that I like projecting to the NFL. And you could look at him and you could say, the way Michigan used him, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of meat left on the bone. But I'm not so sure I see more uh, uh, like a vertical athlete there. I see more of the linear, uh, the, the horizontal type of tight end. And maybe you're right. In the intermediate range, he could be like that Jason Witten type that ends up, you know, 
haunting the Giants for a long time. I think there is upside for that. But I looked at him and I looked at an athlete like Tucker Craft. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned him. And I saw a lot better of a functional athlete in space with Tucker Craft. And that maybe not testing wise, because I know Luke Shoemaker crushed it uh, with, with his testing. But when I watch the two, I think there's a little bit more juices, like a yak type tight end with a Tucker Craft type than a Luke Shoemaker. But Luke Shoemaker obviously has more upside as a true wide tight end, a blocker with a blocking profile. So there is, it's not this pick. I definitely uh, think has a little bit more upside at where they got them than a Mozzie Smith type for me, just at where they got them for value. But I felt like Loon Shoemaker was going to go a little bit later in this class. So I was a little surprised there. Let's get to their third round pick. DeMarvian, uh, DeMarvian, De, De I think is how you say this name. Yeah. Overshone linebacker to Texas. I didn't really watch too much of him, but I did see a little bit and enough to know that what they're banking on here is a super athletic second level player at linebacker. This is something they've kind of always done starting with Vander Esch. They really wanted to bank on those kind of athletic traits in space. And I think this is an interesting pick because in my mind, Nick, when I saw this come off the board, I was thinking in my head immediately, like they're thinking about who's in their division, Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, and now Sam Howell, at least for now. <laughs> Let's just say that for now. Who knows what's going to happen there? I'm sure he's not long-term fit there, but I don't know. Remember, last year's draft, when we broke down the NFC East, I said that was the best value pick of the class, and Sam Howell, I can never understand how that dude lasted to, to the fifth round. It made absolutely zero sense. It was a total overcorrection by the NFL. And honestly, like looking back now, would you take Sam Howell or Malik Willis? I think the answer is Sam Howell, to be completely <laughs> honest. And, you know, it wasn't at the time, but, and I'm, you know, so whatever. But I think they really made this picnic because of those quarterbacks in the vision. Cause I think he's just the perfect type of guy to project as that spy at the second level where like, you're not going to get beat by Jalen hurts. You're not going to get beat by Daniel Jones. If you put a guy like this on your defense with that kind of range and speed at the second level, a bit undersized at 223. obviously looking at more of a coverage type, uh, than kind of like the, um, I guess uh Jack Campbell type of linebacker though. He could be good in coverage too, but I feel like with him, you're banking on the range, you're banking on the speed and you're banking on the hopes that this guy can be the X factor that doesn't let Jalen hurts and Daniel Jones beat you in the run game. Think about the linebackers that Dan Quinn has had in the past. He likes these athletic type of linebackers. This is a very good, long rangy type of athlete who has sideline to sideline speed and elite closing burst acceleration explosiveness just a twitched up type of dude so i ended up doing an evaluation on him i had a fourth round grade on demarvian overshone but i understand the potential here especially with the landing spot like the dallas cowboys where you have dan quinn and you have micah parsons and you still have leighton van Der Esch and you have all of these defenders so there's not going to be a lot put on your plate he can be that quarterback spy he's going to be effective on blitzes and if you can really hone in on all the issues with his game and some of his issues are just man he is a raw run defender like he runs himself out of gaps his diagnosing skills they're not there right now he was eliminated at the second level constantly throughout tape allow him to be a run and chase type of linebacker with his type of athletic profile, you might find a pretty damn good football player in there. This is kind of another take a, take a little bit of roll of the dice, see what you can find out of him, get him with a good coaching staff and then try to develop the traits that he does have. Cause not a lot of even linebackers in this class have that type of closing burst, man. Like when he has you teed up and he brings the violence to the point of attack, he can just take you and deplete you. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at with with Overshone. I don't think he's going to be a day one starter, but he's somebody who, if he develops, watch out. He could be a, a solid football player. Yeah, and it's another, like you said, uh, bet on trades type projection pick because just like with Shoemaker, where you're you're thinking you're looking at him, you're like, eh, if he was in, if that Michigan offense was a little more tight end friendly, he could have been a really high production type player, and maybe we would have been looking at him as like in that Sam Laporta range early round two. I feel like it's the same thing with all the weird stuff that was going on with that Texas defense and like all the different uh, you know systems he was running through. It just feels like maybe they're looking at it like we kind of feel like this is a player who's going to be better at the NFL level than the college level. I think they, they, they're saying that basically with Overshone and Shoemaker. So really interesting picks to make there. I wouldn't call them like value picks. I'd call them my guy type picks and we'll see if the Cowboys are right on the type of guys that they're looking for. And let's run through. We're going to just run through for all these teams day three uh, pretty quickly um, with a few notes on each. We'll start with a player who was mocked a little bit to the giants. Um, Head rush out of San Jose State, uh, Vili, Viliami Fioku, then Asim Richards, the offensive tackle out of UNC in the fifth round. Then in the sixth round, they got Eric Scott, the cornerback, and then Deuce Vaughn in the sixth round. I'm sure everyone saw the video. And look, I'm a Giants fan, Nick. We are, we're Giants guys, but it, it's impossible to not follow this game, love this game the way we do, and not feel a little, at least a little bit 
emotional and happy when you see what happened with Deuce Vaughn, where, you know, his dad is literally a scout for the Cowboys and he gets to draft his son. I mean, they draft his son to the team. It's just, in my opinion, one of the coolest stories of the entire draft weekend. And Deuce Vaughn, by the way, because I was watching a little bit of tape on him uh, after, because obviously we evaluated him and I liked him a lot. I remembered with him, man, he could be, I don't know, man. I know he's five foot five, but like you watch Deuce Vaughn, you watch Eric Gray. There is a different level, in my opinion, of athleticism with Deuce Vaughn. When he makes his cuts and gets in the open field, I don't, I don't, haven't seen too many runners in this class, in my opinion, who can do the thing where they're running one way down the field and you could, and it's like, all right, this dude can only go one way now. And then he just is able to kind of plant in the dirt and cut back the other way and lose no speed. It's crazy how little momentum and speed and acceleration he loses when he makes his cuts, which I yeah. think is a really interesting trait with Deuce Vaughn. So I thought that was a great pick. And then they take a flyer on Jalen Brooks, the wide receiver in the last round. Any thoughts on their day three? Yeah, just Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn, you watch him against Alabama in the last game for Kansas State, and it's just like this guy's running all over Nick Saban's defense. And <laughs> another one of those players who is small, like a very small profile type player. Like five Insanely five. small. 179 pounds, and that could be used against him. You know, allow a linebacker to tee him up. It's going to hurt him. But he's also a very small target, has pretty damn good contact balance for a player of his size, good vision. And then as you already spoke on, the athletic traits are also there for a player like Deuce Vaughn. I could see him being like a situational third down back who comes in every now and again and makes some sort of annoying play that we all go, oh my Deuce Vaughn, really? Similar to Boston Scott, which is scary for anybody who's a who is better version of Boston Scott, though. Boston Scott's pretty good, though. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people say that about Boston Scott. Boston I'm Scott, not. to me, is a pretty good running back. Like, for, for all things considered, he's, mm -hmm. he's not Miles Sanders, right? Who's no longer with the Philadelphia Eagles. And now they got DeAndre Swift, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But he is, he's a pretty good running back. And then Deuce Vaughn, I, I think he's going to be that for the Cowboys as well. Maybe not a 1B to Tony Pollard, but a situational back who will be rotated uh, within the offense. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. I think he's more of like a, to me, I'm viewing him more as like a rotational back that they use on the early downs, actually. Because I think if you're going to use him on third down, you you better put him out in the past, you know, in the past play as a route runner. I don't know if you're going to trust somebody at any, again, he, he has, it's not that he has no experience of it, but at five five one seventy, like you want to leave that dude in pass protection. I don't know about that. Um, though then again, we've seen like some of the smaller players actually be good in bass production at the running back position. I think the best I've ever seen personally do it in bass production was Clinton Portis back in his days with Washington. And Clinton Portis wasn't the biggest back in the world. He was just really damn good at pass production. So that was definitely the pick that stood out to me the most. I'm there. wondering if they use him like in the slot and stuff too. Oh man, that would be a problem. Cause yeah, that's a thing that Kansas state flexed him out and used him there. And we've already exactly. seen with the Giants, they have a lot of issues when teams actually feature the running backs in the past game so that but now we have linebackers we actually have linebacker we have linebacker you know what i'm gonna put darian beaver let's put some respect on darian beaver's name i believe in at least darian beaver's the idea of darian beaver's to some degree yeah maybe it's glass half full for me here but it can't be worse than Tay Crowder, right? I don't want to kick the guy while he's down. It can't be worse than what the Giants trotted out there last season. It really can't be. And hopefully one of these UDFA guys step up and they, and they end up making the team. I'm not too optimistic about that from what I've seen, but I still have to watch more tape on them. Okay, let's move on to the next team we're going to cover here, the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously, uh, this is in my hey, We got to give a grade to Dallas. Oh. We're doing grades. I forgot. I, I was just saying we were reviewing the draft. We don't think we even need to do the grade. I know you're not a grade guy. If you, grades if, suck. I, I'm not a grade guy. So if we don't right, have we're not to doing do grades, we're just reviewing drafts. Like, I feel like the listeners like grades. So let's preface it by saying grades are stupid. We don't know how these drafts are going to come out for another two, three years. But I know listeners like grades. So I'm open to it. At least. And we could find, we'll do the grades, but we're grading this on less of what, yeah, as Nick just described, we're grading more on philosophically like over 30,000 foot view type grade. Like what did we think of their process of going into these picks? Not the actual players, which are much harder, not only to grade, but to project because there's injuries that are going to go into these guys profiles later in their career. Could be is year, year one, year two. We don't know. We don't really know the fit that the coaches are looking for. We don't know the skill set they see. So there's a lot of factors, but we're going to do it anyway. What's your grade for the Cowboys? I'm making you go first. See, I wasn't in love with their draft either. And I actually have a quick question for you. I know we're a little bit pressed with time. Would you have rathered, if you were the Dallas Cowboys, jump up to the Jacksonville Jags and trade the same haul that the New York, the similar haul that the New York Giants did, and then secure Dalton Kincaid or sit there, get Mozzie Smith, and still have a Seam Richards or a player like that later on in the draft? 
I'm with you. I, or, I don't know if you're on this boat. You just asked me the question, I but I, yeah. I would have preferred they <laughs> traded up there. And then honestly, what they could have done is get the kid out of Baylor to play the nose at the same pick they got over. Yes, yeah, they could have got him the same pick they got overshone because I think he went one pick after overshone or a couple picks after overshone. And then now you have, and then look, they might love this overshone guy for their defense. I don't know, but now you have the same idea, not as much pass rush upside there, but you also now have an elite playmaker in the passing game that I'm not certain Luke Shoemaker can be. Plus, they would have still had uh, their second round pick. They just, like you said, would have lost some day three capital. So, I, I and they're also a roster that I think is kind of in the Giants boat where they don't really need all these day three swings. They don't have too many roster spots to fill. They may end up cutting some of these guys in the back end um, and to their practice squad. So yeah, I'm with you. I think they, they should have been a little bit more aggressive in that regard. So for my grade, I'm going to also give them a C here. Again, I had Luke Shoemaker as a my guy, but not so much in round two. Mozzie Smith, I liked. I didn't love in round one. I was like, okay with that. And then after that, I really think they're just betting on their guys, the guys they feel like they scouted better. The one pick that scares me, again, is Deuce Vaughn. I'm just a huge Deuce Vaughn guy, so we'll see what happens there. Um, let's move on now, though, to the Eagles. Unfortunately, this is a really good draft class. To me, Nick, I know people have debated this. The Steelers are definitely in the in the running. Giants, I think, are even in the running. A few other teams, the Colts did did well. But I really thought the Eagles did the best of any team in this draft. I'm going to be completely honest with you for a variety of reasons. But we can go pick by pick. And at the end, we can break down why I think that. And we can get your take on the overall picnic. But let's just do, uh, like we said before, uh, day one and day two. Start with Jalen Carter here at number nine overall. My God, Nick. I mean, you said it best. When we did the draft where it was me versus you and we're drafting the best possible team we could draft. You had you had a very smart strategy. After I picked Bryce one, you're like, I'm not going to take a quarterback to the last pick because why the hell would I? And I should have like done a backup. I had those extra spots. I should have put a backup quarterback in the big. Like, no, no, I'm going to convert Stroud to a to a wide receiver or something. <laughs> I just effed with <laughs> you there. But um, it made you take Richardson or, or, or Levis, but or Hooker. But um, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They, we really felt, and I know you felt this way. There, to me, there were the two best players in this class were Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. And then, honestly, Jalen Carter, I think, even has a higher ceiling than Will Anderson. To be completely honest yeah. with you, and they played this thing so freaking well. Like they could have traded up even more to get him if they had to, but they really only did a one spot trade up to get him. I think it was or a two spot. It was a one or two spot trade up? I think it was one spot trade up, ten to nine to get him. Yeah, and at nine overall, they get in my opinion, potentially the best player in this entire class. And they draft him to a team that has a ton of his teammates on it already, which is a great starting spot for someone who has quote unquote character concerns, which I think are kind of overblown anyway. It's like they just came up at the end. They're kind of like we hear this all the time and it ends up not panning out as far as the character concerns, but they have the teammates already. And more importantly, he's drafted into a winning program, like a program that we just went to the Super Bowl. Didn't really lose much. I don't think they lost anything at all. They're only getting better, unfortunately. 
And so that to me fixes a lot of the potential bad pitfalls. Like if you draft into like the Texans or something like that, right. And it's a bad first season where they're losing all these games. Maybe that's when you start to see the effort drop or you start to see some of those issues people had pop up, but on a really good team like this, I'm not so sure that's going to be the case. So this was a devastating pick. My brother who may be listening, maybe not match. And I was just angry the entire draft, like from pick two on, he was like, don't do it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Every single pick that came off the board. That wasn't Jalen Carter just made him so mad. And then finally the Eagles got Carter and it was like, all right, well, here it is. So they did lose some stuff. They lost Isaac Siamalu and they lost two linebackers, Kaiser White, and then obviously TJ Edwards. And they might have even lost other people, but that's not the point. The point is Howie Roseman. And I don't want to sit here and just give this guy a bunch of pats on the back, but he really deserves it. He loses these guys in free agency. He has contingency plans within who have been with his team for over a year. Last year, they drafted Cam Jurgens. Remember, we talked about it. He was a center, supposed to be the backup to Jason Kelsey. Now he's more than likely going to slide in and play right guard. They drafted N'Kobe Dean in the third round after he fell. Now he can man the linebacker position. And now you get Jalen Carter. And you already brought up all the good points, man. He has Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Darius Slay. All of these players who are leaders, who have been in the NFL for a while, who know what it takes to get to a Super Bowl. Some of them know what it takes to win a Super Bowl. Who are going to keep this kid in line and have him buy into this program. This is not good for the New York Giants. It's not. Because even without Jalen Carter on this team, Dan, this is a very tough assignment to block, as the Giants realized three different times last year, and then the most embarrassingly, in the playoffs. So, I don't know, man. I'm distraught about this pick. I think this sucks. I really think it's best situation for Jalen Carter and it's not a great situation for the New York Giants the Dallas Cowboys or the Washington football team even after drafting John Michael Schmitz we still have issues potentially at left guard and right guard moving forward we don't know John Michael Schmitz to me is no guarantee to be able to block a Jalen Carter type or the, t- the the kid they took from Georgia last year I'm blanking on his name now that if he can get his act, Jordan uh, Davis Jordan Davis who had injury last year but you know if he comes in and, and becomes the best player he could be now you got those two in the middle of that defense just seems like a tough assignment for the Giants, a really, really tough assignment. But then we move on to their second first round pick. And this one was almost even more annoying to me, Nick, because like he was falling. I didn't understand why he was falling. It felt like he was only falling because teams were so gung ho. We got to get this receiver. Like there was such a wide, wild, like tackle and receiver run. Like all teams were like really not needs based drafting to me, Nick, but in some ways needs based drafting at tackle and receiver. I didn't think any of these guys were like, the greatest tackle that every class we ever saw, the greatest receiver class we ever saw. All of them we talked about had their warts at both positions outside of maybe Paris Johnson at the tackle position. And I could go with Broderick Jones maybe too. Um, and, and, J- and Jackson Smith and Jigba. But as those receivers fell, uh, came off the board, as the offensive tackles came off the board, as the tight end Kincaid, as you're, you know, you're getting some of those picks that kind of teams are focusing in on there. Guess who keeps falling? Nolan Smith out of Georgia, a player who you loved. I loved. It's immediate. You watch his tape. You love the way he plays. And I got to be honest with you, Nick. I think if he wasn't injured last year, he would have been an obvious top 10 pick in this class and an obvious top 15 pick in this class because maybe the pass rushing profile isn't the greatest thing we've ever seen. But the way he plays the game is just so obviously going to work as some, a, a starting level at the NFL uh, starting player at the NFL level. He was the highest graded run defender at that position. And you see him so such a good functional athlete in space. Like you want to run our zone read game with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. This dude's going to annoy the hell out of us because he's going to be there every time playing it as well as Kayvon Thibodeau played it just as smart and maybe more athleticism than Thibodeau. If I'm going to be honest, as far as in that role, not overall, but in that role, no, he is. He no, he's yeah. a better athlete. He's a four four nine athlete. Yeah, he's he's yeah. probably a little bit better of an athlete than Kayvon Thibodeau in, in that role. And I think he plays that even better that zone read game. And if they can unlock him as a pass rusher. And again, his profile is very similar to Hassan Reddick, who they did unlock in a breakout season last year, 17 sacks. Then it's like, oh my God, they just got two of the better players in this entire class. I think they could be two of the 10 best players in this class at round, you know, nine and 30 overall after going to the Super Bowl. Like that makes no sense. It doesn't even add up. Dan, they have Josh Sweat on their team who they drafted, I think, in the fourth round out of Florida State back in like 2017 or something like that. And I loved him in that draft, but he had a lot of injuries back at Florida State. We hardly talk about this dude. He had double-digit sacks last year. He's an absolute beast. He's developed in the exact manner that they wanted him to. And he's like an afterthought because we're talking about Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis and Hassan Reddick. And then their secondary. They are absolutely stacked. 
they are a scary team to deal with. And I see people on Giants Twitter being like, why is everybody applauding the Eagles? It's like, dude, they deserve to be applauded. That's why we're applauding the Eagles. You think I want to do this? I hate the Eagles. Like, I hate that team. There is no professional team in any sports, and I'm a huge, avid hockey fan. You know that. There's no team in professional sports that I hate more than the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. I really do not like the Dallas Cowboys either. But you have to give credit where it's due. And Howie Roseman has done an excellent job there. The fact that they were able to get Nolan Smith, they didn't even do anything. Like, he just fell to them. So I don't yeah. even want to really give them that much credit. But still, you select them, and now you have that guy in your bullpen, really, because he's not going to have to start. He's going to be a, oh, Daniel Jones is beating you on the zone read? Cool. Let's put Nolan Smith in there. Nolan Smith is excellent in those situations. Oh, Hassan Reddick is a little tired? Cool. Put Nolan Smith in there. Now you have this freak athlete as a pass rusher again man this is um it's not a great situation i don't know what else no. to say yeah and they're just like you said it's just a rotation thing like they're not going to be the team that gets tired and has nothing left to put out there and you're going to see like kendrick ellis out there for a snap getting killed nope they have you always call him kendrick <laughs> poor kendrick ellis is somewhere like dan why the hell you i know yeah kendrick ellis is a better player uh justin ellis <laughs> i don't know why i call him kendrick ellis and i think i called him that last night i did like a wfan hit and i and i think i called him that there because oh, i think that's man. just going to, I gotta to listen be, to that how was it it was great i had a great time talking with Lori. i'll send you the link uh in a Please little do. bit yeah. but um Come back in round three here, and this is what always pisses me off about the Eagles, Nick, because they're just so one step ahead of things on the offensive line, and they take Tyler Steen, a player who I was late to watch in the process, but once you watch him, you see exactly why they like him. It's the same reason they like Cam Jurgens, right? It's this dude can move. He can get out. He could scoot, and now they have two interior offensive linemen in the last two drafts that they drafted, right, Nick? With no, like, they didn't draft him out of need. They didn't draft him because we need a right guard right now. We need a center right now. Let's put him in. They drafted him looking ahead to the future, thinking, okay, how have we built the greatest offensive line in the NFL over the last five years? We've done it by one, we are lucky. We have Stoutland, the greatest, <laughs> the best offensive line coach left in football. Like, God bless, we have him. Let's just keep paying him. Let's never let him leave. But two, we keep drafting not for need. We draft to build out this offensive line over time and have backup plans and have depth and have competition and have talent that we don't need to throw in right away. Because if you throw an offensive lineman right away, sometimes he, it may fuck up, may mess up his mental game. If he's not blocking well at the beginning, he may never be the same player. I feel like in some degree that happened somewhat with Eric Flowers, though. Probably with Flowers, he just was never meant to be. And there's a bad, bad I think Eric Flowers had some, yeah. had some character things too. But yeah, like, I don't think he was a coachable person. Right. And if that's the case, then it's like, then that doesn't matter. But in this regard, taking a player like Tyler Steen one year, if you're taking Jurgens, who, like you said, is probably going to start at right guard, but now he has competition, a talented player that could potentially start over him. And there's even a chance, honestly, between Jurgens and Steen, where it's like, you may have a better player than than Isaac Salamalu, at least maybe not in year one, but maybe in year two already. And now you would just have a team that just understands how to draft. Like, what did they do? They drafted two front seven players, and then they drafted an offensive lineman right away in this class. They don't need those positions right now. They might need linebacker more. They might need whatever more, though they don't really have any needs, unfortunately, on this roster besides safety, um, which they then address with their next pick. But they're addressing what wins in the NFL, building out the trenches, and they're doing so before they need to. And it's just, I was frustrated when I saw this pick because I was hoping they would blow it on something else they didn't need or just not go offensive line. Maybe one day we'd see an Eagles offensive line that wasn't dominant, but it just feels like they're I, I don't know, like maybe when Lane Johnson retires, there's there's an opportunity for them to have a hole there. But other than that, this just feels like a team that just gets it on the, uh, you know, with with building their draft out and with never letting the offensive line fall. Death taxes and Howie Roseman addressing the offensive line. I mean, or, or the defensive line for that matter. Like he yeah. is a general manager who understands that you win in the trenches. And Tyler Steen, dude, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't he have that Kevin Booth body? You know, oh, that is a good call. I got <laughs> I kind of see that Kevin Booth body now. I never thought of that. <laughs> Kevin Booth, man, he had a very distinct body. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up a full like picture him. of Kevin Booth. You could always know that Kevin Booth was on the football field yep. as a giant fan. But yeah, he's a he's a good athlete. Shorter arms might get kicked inside. Tyler Steen from the Alabama offense that I watched. I didn't focus on him, but I saw him out there, and he looked very functional, like a very competent individual out there who played tackle for them. So rich get richer, bro. And then they took Sidney Brown with their – pick right after in round three. Sidney Brown is a player. I know that you were higher on Jatavius Martin. You were higher on Quan Martin, but he's a player who I also liked maybe less so than Quan Martin because of the tackling issue with Sidney Brown. But I felt like if the right coaching staff gets their hands on Sidney Brown out of Illinois, 
uh, he could potentially be even better than Quan Martin because I think that if you can fix his tackling issue, then he becomes a player who has the same kind of versatility as a Quan Martin, played all over that defense, was really good on special teams for them. He's explosive, maybe like he isn't in uh, like in the box safety in long term for them. I'm not sure because I think he, but I really think he has some potential to play the deep half as well. Um, and we'll see what happens with them. I think that right now they're kind of viewing him as a potential option to replace. Uh, uh, What's his name? Gardner Johnson, who they had last year in the slot, as they don't really have a one-on-one a -on -one for one replacement for losing him. And he was a good player for that defense as kind of that nickel slot role. So they got they Avante get, Maddox. They do have Avante Maddox. I'm not a huge fan of him, but yeah, but they did get him. Uh, I, I like Avante like Maddox. Maddox. Okay. Yeah, Maddox is a good player, but they also use like a three safety package right. where where they had that third safety. That was Chauncey Gardner Johnson last year. This year, it's going to be a Sidney Brown. My thing about Sidney Brown is he's he's pretty small, man. He's not big. The fact that he came away with six interceptions this year definitely did well for his overall evaluation. I felt like he showed some man coverage chops covering Sam Laporta and these tight ends in the Big Ten doing a, I would say, solid overall job. I wouldn't say he's a true, tried and true man coverage type of safety, but he can play man coverage for you. i was higher on Jartavius Martin, who we're about to go over because he was selected to Washington. I think this is a, a thickly built, dense, heavy hitting type of safety who is undersized. And I'm sure the Eagles of all teams will find a role that will be very, very annoying for everybody else in the NFC East for a player like Sidney Brown. I don't know if he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be roaming the posts though and playing, you know, single high cover fair. one, doing stuff like that. That's fair. And and in that defense, I'm not sure they even need him to because they don't really run that that much anyway. He is a good athlete, right? They got Reed Blankenship as an undrafted free agent last year, and he gave them very valuable snaps. So they're pretty used to taking these secondary pieces, these young guys, and developing them and allowing them to flourish in the right role within their defense. So I think Sidney Brown had a lot more upside than a Reed Blankenship who played well for them last season. Fair enough. I'm going to run through the day three picks, but I want to spend a little bit more time on these than we'll do for any other teams because they are a little bit more intriguing, unfortunately, for our sake than anyone else's day three picks. Start with Keely Ringo, the corner out of Georgia, who at first had some first round buzz. Ends up They end up getting him in the fourth round. They were smart enough to have that early fourth round pick via trading. Um, so because of that, you know, you get the last, the last of the talent left on the board around 105, in my opinion, it really fell off around 120 the, around the pick where Tyler Scott came off the board, Nick, which I think was like 124. That's when I really felt like now you're getting into the, you got to really project these guys, your system, my guy type players, but Keely Ringo, then Tanner McKee, man, I'll say this, Nick, I didn't love Tanner, Tanner McKee when he was being talked about as like QB three or QB four in this class. I know Mike Renner's like a huge fan of him. He had him as like a top 30 pick. Remember we were doing the mock draft simulators for PFF and like Tanner McKee was just like always staring you in the face starting in round two. But that was Mike. This, is to, this is to me. <laughs> What'd you say? That was Mike. That was Renner. Renner's a big fan of him. He's, yeah, he's he is. you know, he planted his flag. That's his guy. But I'll say this, like this to me is just the exact pinnacle of what Howie Roseman does. You talked about it in round one with Nolan Smith. I think he's doing the same thing here in round six with Tanner McKee because 12 quarterbacks come off the board before Tanner McKee, but can any of them actually get the ball down the field with an NFL arm talent with the actual NFL arm talent that you can trust? Cause like a lot of these guys like Jaron Hall and these types of quarterbacks, I've seen these guys in the NFL, man, you can play them so easily. You crowd the line of scrimmage, you play one single high safety, you drive on all the short routes and they have no NFL arm talent to get the ball outside the numbers down the field in the intermediate and deep range. And it's so easy to play defense against those guys. To me, they have almost no, shot like you can get some like what was the dude who had like a couple good games for baltimore and people got excited about him a couple years ago um to uh the uh the kid out of um Tyler one of those west coast yeah huntley remember people are starting to get excited he had his little run with the ravens two years ago like oh should the giants look at trading for huntley is huntley in a high upside trade now you see him this past year once nfl defenses adjust to him they have film on him and he's nothing he can't run the pass game and those guys in my opinion who don't have those kind of like real live nfl arm to get the ball down the field mckee was one of the few in this draft who could get the ball down the field it's not the best arm in the class but you watch a little bit of mckee and you could see it he's throwing a deep post that actually gets over the top and like and gets to the spot and i'm just like they're getting this dude this late at six foot six who people think is a really good processor with an actual NFL arm, not these, these fake arms. And I'm just like, here I am again, looking at the Eagles. Like, how do this, how does this happen? And then finally, um, a was a player who was mocked at times to the giants. They get him around seven, whatever there, but you add another thing to this mix, which we didn't mention and deserves to be mentioned. 
They also get DeAndre Swift. That's part of their day four, their day three haul. You know, like they trade a couple picks, they swap some picks, they lose a four, a late four, and now they have DeAndre Swift on their roster for a year. It's very annoying getting DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift has to be one of the more frustrating running backs to coach because I think the talent is through the roof, man. I think the athletic ability, get him in space, he's gone. But instincts, vision, patience, understanding where to be, understanding how to read the defense and anticipate are all things that he has struggled with. Because Detroit, when they selected Jameer Gibbs, you're like, oh, they're going to trade DeAndre Swift. I just didn't realize it was going to be to Bulldog you now, Bulldog Central over there in Philadelphia. And I'm upset because I have a Bulldog. And I absolutely love my little bulldog Phoenix. And now I got to look at the Philadelphia Eagles and they're just adding these guys to their freaking team. And it's not just Georgia. It's Mississippi state too, right? They got Fletcher Cox. They got Darius Slay. So they don't have Dak Prescott at least, but still, man, it's a, it's crappy. Keely Ringo. Look, I thought the first round hype on him was, was a bit much. I didn't see it. I, I contend he's stiff, and I think the NFL realized that too. He's, he's a stiff player. He cannot really cover too well on the horizontal plane. He's very good on the vertical plane. But you stick him behind James Bradbury and Darius Slay? Come on now. Of course. You have him take a deep third and a cover three type of defense? He could execute that pretty damn well. That's where he thrives, right? So, and he also has ball skills, and he's long. I mean, he's six foot, what, two, 210 pounds. There's not a lot of corners that are that big who run a four, three, six. That's what the Eagles do, bro. They, they add players like that. And that's a system fit for them with Ringo. And also it's not only just a system fit, that potential system fit. It's also a good spot for him because part of the reason he dropped was not just the stiff hips. It was the character concerns with a player like that. And that took him Did off a lot character of concerns. That's what I heard. That's what in, during NFL network, I heard that uh, the way it was described was he was a five-star recruit. At a recruit and he acts like a five-star recruit that's what they said on mm-hmm. nfl network at least i think it was even Rapport said a lot of teams See, he's from scottsdale way. so you know those scottsdale guys yeah. out here <laughs> but look it's like another situation of like jalen carter okay maybe that would have been an issue if you're not going to a super bowl team with a lot of your teammates on it like you know it's just like i don't th- i've seen this act before the eagles are going to turn this guy around i think unfortunately so let's give a grade for this one a plus yeah, it's an A plus for me too. This was uh, the Steelers can contend with it. The Giants had a good draft, things like that. But to me, this was the best draft by far in the class. Unfortunately, let's wrap up with the Washington football team. I still call them that. They're the Commanders. I just hate the name, and I think it's stupid. Um, so I'm just gonna keep calling them the football team. And if you're listening, because I know we're gonna the way that I'm gonna frame this this podcast, Nick, in the uh, the the title of this podcast, we are going to get some haters coming in from Dallas and and uh, and Washington. And so just be ready for that. But no, not to say I didn't like Washington's draft just because, you know, I'm calling them the football team instead of the commander. So they go Emmanuel Forbes, Nick's boy with the first pick at 16 overall before Christian Gonzalez, before Deontay Banks, before Joey Porter Jr. Players who were at least mocked to go ahead of them. Let's start there. What were your thoughts on that decision? I support it. Not really the Christian Gonzalez side of it and not really the Deontay Banks side of it, but I understand it. And I actually had Joey Porter Jr. and Deontay Banks higher than Emmanuel Forbes. But as I said, I like the tape for Emmanuel Forbes better than I like Joey Porter Jr.'s tape, at least. But Joey Porter Jr. also really wasn't challenged outside of that Purdue game. Yeah, like no targets. Yeah. yeah, no one was throwing towards him uh, outside of uh, week one against Purdue. But I understand it because you want to create you want to create turnovers. You need cornerbacks who can get their head around, can locate the football, and can knock the football away or intercept it. And I can't remember who said it, which cornerback said it, but they said anybody can knock the pass away, but not everyone can intercept the ball. Emmanuel Forbes can intercept the freaking pass. And I like Deontay Banks a lot. Deontay Banks has PBUs. I still think Deontay Banks, it takes him a little bit to get his head turned around. I think Deontay Banks is the perfect fit in theory, in terms of his athletic ability, his physicality, his mentality, to play in Wink Martindale's system. A better fit than even an Emmanuel Forbes, who I really loved. But I do think Emmanuel Forbes, in terms of ball skills, in terms of understanding how to come away with the football at the catch point, he's the best in this class. And I said it, I was like, dude, this guy's going to go in the first round. No one's really, not really many people are talking about it, but he's going to be a first round pick. I didn't realize it was going to be in the top 20 though. So way to get your guy. You took him over Christian Gonzalez. That's, that's bold, but you know, I'm not going to complain about Emmanuel Forbes getting drafted high because he was one of my favorite guys to study in this class. Yeah, I think unfortunately for the Giants, this is at least as of now, a really good system fit for what they run there. We talked about this a little bit on our day one recap, but 
I've seen the way that they run that defense. It's super aggressive. We even saw it against Daniel Jones. And this is the type of guy you want if you're running an aggressive defense with some off coverage, which I know they're going to play a lot of off coverage. And that, to me, was a perfect fit for him. I felt like Christian Gonzalez could also operate really well in that kind of defense. So that was the only surprise for me. But Christian Gonzalez, like I said, when I, I was not, I, I looked at him and I was like, when I looked at him, Nick, I was like, I guarantee this guy is going to be a top five prospect for me in my, in my class. And then I watched him and I was like, it just, the film to me didn't add up to what I thought he was going to be Dude. mostly because of the ball skills. Did you, okay. Did you watch UCLA? No, I didn't see that game. Bro, it's just like some of the plays in the UCLA game is like, how do you move that smoothly? Yeah. And that's it's what people like, love. And, and the size and he's 20. Like there's a lot to like about sure. Christian Gonzalez and maybe his tape isn't as perfect in terms of ball skills and stuff like that. And he didn't really have any interceptions. I think until this past season where right. he had four, if I'm not mistaken at Oregon, he didn't really have any interceptions back at Colorado. But when you're that size and you have that type of movement skills and you can tackle and you are a smart kid and you're not going to be an issue off the field, there's a lot of reasons to buy into a player like that. And now you sure. end up with Bill Belichick, one of the best defensive coaches in general in the NFL. I had Christian Gonzalez ranked definitely rated above Forbes for me. I just think for, and I, I think it was a mistake by them. I just think for what they're looking for right there and that aggressive defense, the ball skills Forbes has, it could be an interesting fit. So definitely an interesting pick there. Then they take another guy who you loved in this class in round two, Nick, uh, Jatavius Quan Martin, the safety out of Illinois. Uh, I'll ask you your thoughts. I'm sure you think that was a good pick by them as well. Yeah, I love Jartavius Quan Martin. This is somebody who is an elite athlete for NFL players just jumping through the roof, still jumping at the combine. And one of the best tackling defensive backs who have come through the draft, along with Brian Branch, just a really good tackler. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but if you need him to play the post, if you need him to play a deep path, if you need him to come down in the box, if you need him to play the slot, he can do any of those things. And he is going to allow Jack Del Rio to run diversified coverages. It's one of the reasons why I wanted him with the New York Giants, because we see what Wink Martindale did last year. He's going, oh, Julia Love, go sugar the A-gap, act like you're blitzing, and then go drop back to a deep post. Okay, and he would do it. Quan Martin can do that because he can flip his hips and he can move better than most defensive backs out there. And I think a lot of the mistakes that he had on tape were mental lapses. And I don't think he's a dumb player by any means. I just think it was him getting very aggressive. And now you're starting right. to see the theme because he was trying to undercut plays all the time. And sometimes he got burned because of it. But other times he knocked passes away or came away with interceptions. So now you add Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin. Those are two of the more aggressive defensive backs in terms of playing through the catch point and trying to secure interceptions. You're trying to win the football game on defense and give the ball back to your offense or get pick sixes. I like the aggressive nature of that type of style. So I know that this is a little unconventional with Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin with your first two picks, two defensive players who draft pundits had a little bit lower than maybe the Washington commanders did, but I love the philosophy. I do too. I think it was a great start for them in this class here. And then we move on here uh, to their next pick, which was round three. We're going to do round three and round four just for this team because they took a guy I love in round four. They take Ricky Stromberg, the center out of Arkansas. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, they still have that chase and I can never say his name is like, oh, yeah, really? He used to be good, but he's had a lot of injuries. I think that's that's part of the profile there now. I'm pretty sure he was hurt last year. So yeah. you just get a backup for him. Stromberg is somebody we've talked about throughout the pre-draft process. Not really the best athlete at the position, but I see him being a starting center just because he is physical, understands how to use technique, understands how to use leverage. I wouldn't say he's a deficient athlete, but he doesn't have the type of upside of a Joe Tipman or even a John Michael Schmitz for that matter really tough nose type of center who can really help that run game that wants to be tough nosed with Brian Robinson toting the rock back there. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think these were, this was one of the two players at that position that I, I, I talked about it with Whipler throughout the process. People kept replying to my tweets like really no Whipler, no Whipler. I, I just didn't see it at all with Whipler. I guess the NFL teams didn't either. Cause he was what a seventh round pick. Stromberg obviously I actually heard that was a medical one though too. Okay, maybe a medical. And he also has like sub thirty two inch arms. Right. Yeah. I just didn't project it the same way. Stromberg was a player who people like you're gonna love. Just watch this dude. And I, I didn't. I didn't really see it with him as well either. But obviously the the football team likes him, and I just like their idea of going into your offensive line. We'll do one more. Braden Daniels, who they took out of Utah with their fourth round pick. I love that pick by then, and I guess they're going to have the idea of moving him to guard. So they have two now interior offensive linemen there with back to back picks. 
And his athleticism is, is through the roof. So I, we'll have to see what happens with him. I think they're going to have to get him much stronger and he's going to have to. And I really think with the six, four frame, you can probably put on 10, 15 pounds to get into that three fifteen range. But if they do, he could be a really good guard for them. Really athletic, get on the move. Uh, and then KJ Henry, they took the edge out of Clemson who has a lot of athleticism as well. Round five, Chris Rodriguez, the running back out of Kentucky round six and Andre Jones to, to close out their draft. So for grades. Yeah. I'm going to give them, you know what? I got to give them an extra plus because they went with two guys who were my guys. They were bolded my guys. Not like, yeah. oh, you know, I didn't have them bold. They were bolded my guys. So True. I'm going to give them a strong B plus. Okay. I actually was leaning in that direction as well. But maybe I'll go B here because I think I like their idea, right? They they knew that their offensive line was just really not good last year. It was a big pro, big part of their issue. So they got two guys they can project there. But I still feel like the biggest issue when I look at that offensive line, Nick, is their tackle situation. I don't love what I see there at the off, both offensive tackle position. I think there's a chance like Samuel Cosby might have to play again this year. And he was, to me, like I liked him a little bit coming out, but I just feel like the play strength there has been a big issue for him. And and I'm not so sure he's going to be the guy there uh, that, that we're at to worry about. So I still feel like they didn't, address their biggest need there. Um, and then when you take two defensive backs with your first two premium picks, to me, there's always risk. And this goes for Deontay Banks. And, and we took one too, because I've just seen a lot of de defensive backs just not translate over the years. I think to me, it's one of the riskiest positions to draft in rounds one and two. Um, but again, you love them. And I could see, I could see why you love them. I also think like, not only do you love them, Nick, they fit this system really well. And that's what's scary. The one thing I would say though, as to this and why I'm giving it a B and not why I'm giving it a B, but the one thing that could work out for the giants, if we're thinking of it from that standpoint, like a fan standpoint is, and you mentioned this, this to me on draft day, and I think it was a great point by you, but we didn't talk about it in the podcast. There's a good chance that this coaching staff is just gone after this year, right? Like they're a new owner is going to be in place. They're buying the franchise. If they don't make the playoffs, they don't really have a franchise quarterback. It seems like a good time to clean house with the coaching staff, bring in a new coach, bring in a new general manager, maybe even though I don't know if they'll go that route because they do, they do like what they have there, but bring in a new coach and that could change the entire system on defense. And maybe those guys aren't as good fits. So I think that it's one thing just to keep in mind with Washington, but I'll, I'll go with a B to close this out. Before we get out of here, give our grades on the Giants. And again, I think grades are stupid. We didn't do that grade, but okay, we're going to have to. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to give them an A. I'm going to give them an A. Yeah, it's not an A+. plus. It's not the Philadelphia Eagles, but look, they got extreme value with all three of their picks. You can say Deontay Banks 25, maybe not value, but we didn't think he was going to be there, and he was. And then JMS 57, we considered ourselves lucky for that. And then trading up to get Jalen Hyatt at 73, to me, that's a great value. That's somebody who the Giants were being mocked at 25. And now you got all three of those guys. And then you put Eric Gray's the cherry on top of that. He's a player who can have an impact in year one. And also if Saquon Barkley, if it doesn't work out, he can be part of a committee going forward. Those back-end guys are players who can possibly make the squad and have a small impact this season. I like what I saw last night from Trey Hawkins the third. I, I feel like That's Trey good. Hawkins the third. We'll do a more detailed scouting report on him. And trust me, he's not perfect. Like I put up highlights, people are like, wow, how would this guy go so late? It's like, if you watch him against Georgia State, there was a receiver. I have it written down here. He transferred to Louisville. So keep this receiver in your mind. Jamari Thrash. He only had three catches, but holy crap, did Jamari Thrash give Trey Hawkins the third a lot of issues in the Georgia State game. And it was because like a six foot, 180 pound receiver who's just a speed type of guy. When he was able to explode off the line of scrimmage, when when Hawkins wasn't impressed, and even when he was impressed, he was giving him fits the entire game. Hawkins surrendered a touchdown. So Hawkins isn't perfect. They have potential to make the team be special team stalwarts and possibly earn a role on the defense. So I'm going to go with a strong A. We're going to sound like a biggest Homer podcast ever for anyone from the other NFC squads who are listening in and decided to hate watch us. But I gave it an A last night on WFAN and I'm standing by that. It's also an A for me. I think Nick did a good job of breaking down a lot of the reasons why. But to me, I just feel like when you have the situation the Giants were in with their roster where they didn't really need to take all these swings in the late rounds because they've done a good job of finding those guys, in my opinion, but they really needed to potentially get some impact players. They got three players here 
And this is part, part of why I'm giving them an A. Like, I think there's a good chance that Ricky, uh, Ricky Stromberg, there's a good chance that John Michael Schmitz, we're just talking about Washington, John Michael Schmitz and Deontay Banks are literally every down players for the Giants this year. Like, we could be looking at a situation where we took the we take a look at the snap counts every week, Nick. We always go over it on our film breakdown, and it's 100% for Schmitz, and it's 100% for Deontay Banks. So if you get two 100% snaps, guys, in year one, and then a potential with Jalen Hyatt to add a, a wrinkle to the offense that they don't previously have, and who knows? Like, there's a chance that he ends up developing fast than people think and he could also be somebody who doesn't come off the field very often then so maybe it won't be ever be a hundred percent for any receiver but maybe more in like the 60 or 70 percent snap range um so to get three got two definites potential uh every snap snarters and then another guy who's going to play a big role in one draft class to me that, that that's that's good really good like even if you look at the eagles class they're probably only going to get they're probably not going to get any every down snap player unless Jalen Carter is. And that's not a good comparison because like Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith could potentially offer more on 60% of the snaps than these dudes can, and the Giants can offer on 100% of the snaps. But it's just something to look at. Like looking across the board, I feel like the Giants had the best class of the NFC East as far as just immediate play, immediate starters. Yeah, the Eagles also don't need to bring yeah, guys exactly. to college football to, to play. Good point. If they needed to, they could. Right. You're right. You're right <laughs> about that. So just something to consider there. But anyway, thanks, everyone, tuning into Big Blue Banter podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com